Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Jang, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Fantech invites those dialing in to view the slide presentation, which is available in the Investors section at Stantech.com. Today's call is also webcast. Please be advised that if you have dialed in while viewing the webcast, you should mute your computer as there is a 20-second delay between the call and the webcast. All information provided during this conference call is subject to the forward-looking statement qualification set out on slide 2, detailed in Stantex management discussion and analysis, and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. Dollar amounts discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars and are generally rounded. And with that, I'm pleased to turn the call over to Mr. Gord Johnston. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. I'll begin our call today with a review of our second quarter performance. Teresa will then delve deeper into the financial results before I return to provide an update to our outlook for the remainder of 2020. We delivered a solid second quarter with net revenues in line with the outlook we provided during our Q1 call. Our results continue to demonstrate the resilience of our business model, which is bolstered by geographic and business line diversification. Effectively managing our business and controlling costs has allowed us to deliver a 4% year-over-year increase in Q2 adjusted EPS, even though the pandemic has had an unfavorable impact on our Q2 gross margins. Productivity, as measured by utilization, has remained strong and is above typical seasonal levels. Our record backlog of $4.7 billion at the end of Q1 held stable through Q2 and continues to represent approximately 12 months of work. At the end of our presentation today, I'll review how the four value creators of people, excellence, innovation, and growth that we presented in our 2020 strategic plan continue to underpin our activities through the pandemic to continue to enhance shareholder value. We delivered net revenues of $951 million in the second quarter, which is comparable to the same period last year. Net revenue grew organically by 2.3% in the U.S., retracted in our Canadian and global geographies, resulting in an overall organic contraction of 2.1% in Q2. In addition to our geographic diversity, the diversity of our business lines bolstered our resilience in the second quarter. While certain areas retracted, water and energy resources generated organic growth. As expected, infrastructure revenues contracted slightly. Transportation delivered solid performance, while community development work slowed due to the pandemic. And while we've seen growth in work for healthcare facilities and e-commerce fulfillment centers, the pivot to these sectors was not sufficient to overcome the negative impact to the commercial, airport and hospitality sectors, and the Q2 slowdown in buildings was a bit deeper than expected. In water, we saw healthy activity in the United States, 
the United Kingdom, and Australia. This was the result of significant project awards in the U.S., the AN7 Framework Awards we've received in the U.K., and a multi-year Framework Award in Australia. And we've also just won the contract for the Irish Water Engineering Design Services seven-year framework. This is our first major win in Ireland, which will allow us to establish a long-term presence and provide a springboard for our other business lines to grow in the region. The retraction in environmental services is mostly related to Canada, where fieldwork was impacted by project slowdowns related to COVID-19. Finally, energy and resources generated solid organic growth as a result of increased midstream oil and gas work in the second quarter. Our work providing project management services on the Trans Mountain Expansion Project continued in the second quarter under a memorandum of understanding. Subsequent to the quarter, we signed a contract to continue to provide these services for the duration of the project. Last quarter, we spent some time reviewing our expectations for how we believe our business units might be impacted by the pandemic. We continue to believe that these expectations remain valid in the longer term. In the second quarter, our U.S. operations achieved net revenue organic growth of 2.3%. This was driven by project opportunities in water, mining, power, and environmental services, which were partially offset by a retraction in buildings and community development. Gross margin as a percentage of net revenue decreased 2.3% in the quarter to 52.9%. The decrease as a percentage of net revenue was due to inefficiencies that arose due to pandemic-related disruptions, as well as a shift in our project mix, which was driven primarily by major projects in transportation and power and dams. In Canada, slowing economic growth was amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. Net revenue retracted 6.8% in the quarter and 2.6% year-to-date and was particularly evident in buildings and community development. Our environmental services business was impacted by project slowdowns, while pandemic-related mine shutdowns contributed to lower activity in mining. This was partially offset by growth in our oil and gas and transportation businesses due to the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline Project and several large light rail transit projects in Edmonton, Montreal, and the Greater Toronto Area. Gross margin decreased 2.7% as a percentage of net revenue in the quarter to 48.5%. In addition to pandemic-related disruptions, the decrease as a percentage of net revenue was also driven by an increase in volume of lower margin work related to the midstream oil and gas sector. This midstream work contributed to a margin decrease in energy and resources and environmental services. However, despite the lower margin of this work, it drives high utilization and a similar EBITDA contribution as our other business lines. Global net revenue retracted 7.9% in the quarter and was consistent year-to-date with reduced work volumes during the pandemic, partly offset by increased project opportunities in some uh, markets. Project slowdowns were most pronounced in our UK and Australia buildings and European environmental services business. Pandemic-related mine closures in Latin America and large project wind-downs in power and dams further contributed to revenue retraction. Partly offsetting this, though, was the ramp-up of transportation projects in New Zealand and continued strong performance in our UK infrastructure and water business. We also saw a higher volume of work in our Australian water business with several large municipal panel contracts gaining traction in Q2. And just last week, 
we were named Water Industry Consultant of the Year in the UK. Gross margin as a percentage of net revenue decreased 4.8% in the quarter to 51.7%. Margins were impacted by the pandemic, project mix, some ongoing pricing pressures in the UK and Europe, and a couple localized challenges on some projects. I'll now turn the call over to, to Teresa for a review of financial performance. Thank you, Gord, and good morning, everyone. Adjusted net income from continuing operations increased 3% to $58 million in the second quarter, and adjusted earnings per share increased 4% to $0.52 cents per share. This was largely due to an 8% decrease in administrative and marketing expenses and a 29% reduction in net interest expense. Gross margin for the quarter decreased 5% to $490 million. As a percentage of net revenue, gross margin was 51.5%. The pandemic has created a degree of disruption in our operations and our clients' operations, causing some inefficiencies in project execution. We also saw higher than anticipated growth in revenue from our lower margin midstream oil and gas projects. As demonstrated by our solid adjusted EBITDA margin of 15%, we are managing the business carefully and have taken steps to mitigate these margin impacts on the cost side. Our balance sheet remains strong. At June 30th, net debt to adjusted EBITDA was at the bottom of our targeted range at 1.0 times. And we remain in full compliance with all financial covenants. Day sales outstanding was 82 days at quarter end compared to our target of 90 days. DSO decreased four days since Q1 as a result of our ongoing focus on invoicing and collection activities, and we've not seen any notable impact due to the pandemic. Given our strong mix of public sector clients and the high quality of our private sector clients, we do not believe our credit risk has increased meaningfully as a result of the pandemic. Moving on to liquidity and capital allocation, our free cash flow for the quarter improved by 83% compared to Q219. Operating cash flows from continuing operations were $251 million and $89 million improvement compared to Q219. The improvement was driven by an increase in cash receipts from clients, lower payments to suppliers, and the benefit of various pandemic tax deferral programs, which included the deferral of $35 million in tax payments that are now due at various dates before the end of Q1 2021. Cash flows used in investing activities were $11 million, a $7 million decrease compared with Q219, mainly driven by reduced capital expenditures. We used $100 million for net financing activities compared with $83 million in Q219. Cash used in financing activities included $62 million in repayments of drawings on a revolving credit facility and $32 million in payments for lease obligations, partly offset by $19 million in proceeds from the exercise of stock options. And with that, I'll turn the call back to Gord to review our 2020 outlook. Thanks, Teresa. Given the unprecedented circumstances brought on by the pandemic, we withdrew our 2020 guidance in May. That said, we continue to reevaluate our anticipated financial performance on an ongoing basis. So, even though we're not in a position to provide concrete guidance, we are providing our current outlook for 2020 based on the best information available to us at the present time. In the U.S., 
we expect a nominal retraction in revenues in Q3 relative to Q2 across all businesses except water, where we see growth. With project slowdowns and the typical downturn related to cold weather and seasonality, we expect Q4 net revenues in the U.S. to be sequentially lower. Full year 2020 U.S. net revenues are expected to be comparable to 2019 in U.S. dollars when combined with our strong results through the first half of the year. And we also expect some additional uplift from foreign exchange. In Canada, Q3 revenues are expected to be stable relative to Q2, while Q4 revenues, like the U.S., are expected to experience a typical seasonal downturn. Even the weak outlook for Canada before the pandemic, we expect a nominal retraction in revenue for this geography for 2020 compared to last year. Net revenues in the global business are projected to improve modestly from Q2 to Q3 and stabilize at that level in Q4. The strength of the water business in the UK and Australia and the transportation sector in New Zealand are expected to offset the impacts of project slowdowns in other business, resulting in full year 2020 revenues being comparable to 2019. Overall, we expect Q3 and Q4 revenues to decline marginally compared to the same period in 2019. Taken together, we expect full-year net revenue, adjusted net income, and adjusted EPS to be comparable to 2019. We now expect roughly 55% of our earnings to be concentrated in Q2 and Q3, down from the 60% estimate we previously provided. Our balance sheet is strong, and we continue to have excellent liquidity. Our capital allocation priorities have not changed. We're committed to returning capital to shareholders through the payment of our dividends, and we'll continue to repurchase shares opportunistically. We continue to execute on our three-year strategic plan, which we rolled out to our employees and the investment community in December of last year. Our solid second quarter results are a credit to all of our people around the world, and I want to thank our employees for their continued commitment in executing our client-centered strategy in the midst of the unprecedented disruption caused by the pandemic. As we begin our phased office remobilization, the health and safety of our people will always come first. We're also taking steps through this period to maintain the integrity of our workforce in order to position ourselves for the economic recovery that will come. We are committed to both continuing and expanding upon our long-term support for the Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities around the world. And while we've been engaged for many years with organizations that further the interests of these communities both financially and more importantly through the volunteer efforts of our employees, we know that there is more that we can do. We've engaged with our Internal Inclusion and Diversity Council to develop additional areas of support and to focus our financial commitments and our employee engagement to make a long-term lasting impact. We're being thoughtful and deliberate in how we manage our business. We're mitigating the compression of gross margin through decreased administrative and marketing costs. Through our reshaping efforts in 2019, ongoing cost reduction initiatives, and significant reduction in discretionary spending during the pandemic, we've been successful in protecting our industry-leading adjusted EBITDA margins. We continue to develop innovative new solutions for ourselves and our clients to meet the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, Internally, we've launched a virtual marketing and business development toolkit to enhance our client relationships in a socially distanced world. Externally, across North America and into Europe, 
We're using our, criteria, our, our proprietary financial planning software to advise utilities in optimizing their 2021 capital spending scenarios and rate plans in response to COVID-19 impacts on the water demand, sales tax, income tax, fees, and other shared revenues. While the pace of acquisitions is currently challenged by travel restrictions, our growth aspirations have not changed, and the acquisition pipeline remains strong. In the meantime, we've increased our account management focus on key client accounts, leading to a 7.4% organic growth in net revenue from our named uh, accounts compared with Q2 2019. While the world remains in uncharted territory, we're confident in the resilience of our business model, and we will remain vigilant in monitoring the potential impact on our clients, communities, and most importantly, our employees. And with that, we'll open the call to questions. Operator? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star and then one. If you are using a speakerphone today, it might be necessary to pick up the handset or depress your mute function so the signal can reach our equipment. Again, that is star and then one if you'd like to ask a question today. And we'll take our first question from Benoit Poirier from Desjardins Capital Markets. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, and good morning, everyone. Congratulations for the, the good quarter. Uh, especially looking at the uh, the gross margin, you were successful in maintaining the EBITDA margin despite the uh, contraction in gross margin. So more looking specifically at Canada and international, could you talk a little bit about the uh, the key levers that drove the uh, decline in gross margin specifically for those two regions? And what should we expect uh, going forward in terms of gross margin? Yeah, thanks, Pat, and well, good morning. So, you know, as you pointed out there, I think it's really important to highlight that, you know, we are managing the company for both long-term growth and performance in terms of EBITDA margin and, and EPS. And, and the gross margin is certainly one of the levers that we're managing. And in concert with that, those admin and marketing costs are managing well to, to balance the gross margin pressure and, and generate those solid returns that we saw in Q2. So there's a couple of things that I think we saw contributing to, to the gross margin decline in, in Q2. One of them would be that while our, our utilization as a measure of productivity is holding up well, and in fact is above general seasonal trends, there are some inefficiencies in project delivery caused by working from home. So then, uh, you know, an example was, Say we have a team working on a project and you get to a certain part and you need some input from your clients or from a partner agency and it takes a little longer to get that answer back from them. So the team is still working on the project but likely a little less efficiently than, than they were previously. Uh, we've seen a few clients, uh, larger ones in particular, ask for fee reductions. You know, that's not material on gross margin at this point, but I just wanted just to point that out that, you know, that, that's a a trend we're seeing, and again, these aren't significant, but we're just seeing that. But also importantly, you know, project mix had an impact this quarter. You know, as an example, the, the Trans Mountain Expansion Project that we're working on has a low gross margin. You know, as we said in the prepared results, though, the, the utilization rates are virtually 100%, and we incurred no BD or marketing costs. So the overall EBITDA contribution is similar to other projects and in other business lines. So, you know, there's, there's a couple of things there that, that we're, we're working through, but you know, as you said at the beginning, it is important to note that we're managing the whole business to deliver that consistent performance. And so while gross margin is certainly the data point for us, you know, we're, we're balancing 
gross margin, managing the workforce and controlling discretionary costs to ensure that we achieve those strong EBITDA and uh, EPS uh, numbers going forward. Okay, that, that's great, caller, Gord. And could you provide maybe also an update on the MMA in light of the pandemic? Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I think what, what we found is that, you know, and it's, it, even though it seems like much longer, I was thinking the other day, it's actually really been only about a little less than four months since uh, I had to fly home in mid-March from Australia where we were talking to some firms. And uh, so when we, when, I think when we first all moved home in sort of the uh, third to, uh, you know, third-ish week in March, our clients uh, also moved home. We saw that a lot of the firms that we've been talking to, as well as, you know, both the acquirers and the, the uh, potential firms to be acquired, kind of pulled in their horns a little bit to focus on, on managing their own businesses through the pandemic. So we've also seen, and we also had some concerns about how do we travel to do those final, you know, the final bits of due diligence. But I think now we're really having a good look at it, Benoit, and saying that I think these travel uh, impediments are with us for a longer term. So if, if you look at a place like Australia that has said that they might keep their borders closed to non-essential travel, you know, through the remainder of this year, what we're really beginning to focus on now is how do we continue with that M&A that the processes, utilizing even more the resources that we have in country. So and I think we're ideally situated to do that now. If you, if you think about the, the folks from MWH who joined us, that was you know, four years ago now. And so when we look at, um, in the UK, for example, we've had uh, Cass Sheffer who leads the, the, our global group based in the UK. The MWH team's been there for four years. And also now Peter Brett has been there for some time. So we would view you know, with, between MWH, Peter Brett, and ESI that joined us there, that those folks are all sufficiently stantechized, that they can, they can help us with sourcing acquisitions, they can help us with uh, even more digging deeper into due diligence and, and uh, the integration efforts. Very similar in, in Australia, where in addition to the MWH folks that have been there since 2016, now we've got the strong leadership of uh, wood grieve engineers there as well. So. Um, I think what we're, what we're thinking about, Benoit, is that, you know, for the last quarter, I think everyone sort of paused a bit, you know, as we all focus on running our own businesses. And now we're seeing people begin to emerge out. Some of these discussions are starting again. And we're really thinking more about um, utilizing even more our in-country leadership to help us with the, the M&A uh, processes going forward. Okay, that, that's great. And the last question for me, could you talk a little bit about building? How should we be looking at organic growth following the 8.7% uh, decline in, the, um, in net revenues in the quarter, whether there was anything specific and whether we are poised for a slow recovery or let's say a worse scenario than, than Q2? Thank you. Yeah, we, you know, we don't see it significantly degrading from where we were in Q2. You know, as we look at, at the buildings group, as we said, like the, the pivot to the, the healthcare work, the e-commerce e work, and so on is, is underway. But in Q2, it wasn't enough to catch up to the decline, of course, as in, in commercial and, and so on. We're seeing a lot of healthcare uh, opportunities hitting the street now, probably more than we've seen, particularly in Canada, for, for some time. So I think that, you know, we... we Buildings isn't going to rebound extremely strongly, but I think it'll be, you know, my, my gut says it'll be stable 
uh, you know, going forward with perhaps a slight retraction uh, going forward, but um, but certainly I, I think hopefully not to the degree that we saw in Q2. Perfect. Thank you very much and congrats again. Great. Thanks, Benoit. Our next question comes from Sama.com with RBC Capital Markets. Hey, thanks and good morning. Um, just to follow up there on your uh, commentary on the building segment, I guess you called out some strength in water across a couple of markets for the rest of 2020. Uh, I'm thinking more for environmental services and energy. Should we expect kind of similar performance to Q2 being down year over year through the rest of the year, being more than offset by water and infra? And what are your thoughts at a high level across end markets globally? Yeah, so you know, overall, as, as you know, I think as we've said, we expect our 2020 net revenue to finish sort of similar to what we saw in 2019. So, so while there may be, you know, a little retraction in some of these going forward uh, for the remainder of the year, you know, we're going to see that strong growth, I think, continue through water. You know, as you remember looking back over the last couple of years, you know, it, we, we spent a lot of focus on building backlog in water. And so now we've, we've had... Uh, positive organic growth water overall for the last four or five quarters. And, and I think we'll see that, that continuing. So, you know, ES had really, really strong growth last year. So we're, we're coming off a bit of a high comp there. But, uh, you know, certainly in Western Canada, if we look at the work on Trans Mountain, coastal gas and so on, you know, that'll be stable work for many years for ES and our uh, oil and gas group. But again, it's not huge, uh, it's not great margin work. But, uh, you know, again, no utilization, uh, sorry, virtually 100% utilization and no uh, business development or admin cost. So it generates a pretty good EBITDA margin. Okay, thanks for that. And then your commentary on the overall U.S. market for comparable revenue in 2020. I mean, I guess part of that is driven by the water market, but what are you assuming for the operating backdrop? You know, there's still a bit of uncertainty out there, according to what you said. Are you assuming, you know, there's a bit of stimulus, some extra dollars put in, or is this all really just based on what you have in your backlog? Yeah, for, for 2020, we're not really forecasting any significant stimulus. You know, there's certainly been a lot of talk uh, about putting together bipartisan stimulus uh, bills, and, and we really hope that that comes to fruition. But, you know, against the backdrop of an election year, you know, we're wondering if that might be difficult. And so we're not looking, uh, the numbers that we put up for the U.S. do not include any additional stimulus in, in 2020. You know, we think that might be a, if that comes, that would be a tailwind going into 2021. Okay, and then one last one from me. I think in the commentary you mentioned, you know, sort of moderating your thoughts on down emissions for potential M&A. I guess, is that just based on your outlook and what you're willing to pay for the foreseeable future? Or is that more along the lines of, you know, targets even at this point might be expecting too high of a multiple versus what you think is reasonable? Some of the conditional color in that comment. Well, you know, there's always that, that, that tension as you look to uh, establish valuation for, for various firms. You know, everyone, no one's exactly sure what the, the shape of this recovery is going to look like. So we certainly know historic performance and profitability numbers for these various firms. But, you know, everyone, I think, is really thinking about what does it look like going forward? Um, so, you know, what we've, what we've really thought is that, you know, this really isn't the time to pay high, market, high, um, high multiples on historic earnings. So there's a bit of that tension. And so we're, you know, the, the, the companies that we continue to talk about, we're, you know, we're all reasonable people as we're talking through 
what is it going to look like um, going forward in terms of recovery, in terms of um, uh, recovery on, on profitability, and, uh, and, and so on. So, you know, we haven't seen really, there has been virtually no transactions in our space since the pandemic hit. So it's hard to get a feel for what uh, multiples are going to look like. But in our discussions, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of softening, but, uh, you know, it's still early days. Great. Thank you. Thanks for your questions. And once again, that is star and then one if you'd like to ask a question. We have a question from Devin Dodge with BMO Capital Markets. All right. Thank you. Uh, good morning, guys. Right. It seems like uh, it, it seems that uh, you know some of the COVID-related restrictions, uh, you know, could have been a boost to your um, admitted marketing, um, you know, expense control, you know, things like lower travel and training costs. Uh, you know, I also suspect voluntary turnover, uh, you know, would have been relatively low in the quarter. Just can you talk about the sustainability uh, of these cost benefits, you know, into the back half of the year and even into 2021? Sure. You know, it's, it's something that we um, are certainly thinking about um, because you're, you're right. I mean, the, the degree to which we've been able to bring those costs down in the, in the second quarter, um, we, you know, we didn't have a, a, a really strong sense for as we, as we entered the quarter. And so, you know, we can, we can certainly see now what's achievable. Uh, but, you know, as we start to reopen our offices and, and um, you know, we're seeing in some geographies, you know, folks wanting to start to travel again, uh, you know, the, the level that we're at today isn't sustainable. And, and I would say overall not good for the business um, because uh, those expenditures um, are, uh, are useful. Um, we're, we're starting to see a, more discussion around um, spend on, on marketing dollars again, you know, for, for pursuits and so on. And so where those costs uh, were low um, in the second quarter, we'll see some of that start to come back again slowly over the second half of the year. So, you know, for us, um, it's, uh, it's an expectation that there, there will be uh, some increase, but, you know, we, we're not expecting it to be a dramatic increase over the, the rest of the year. Um, it's really going to be as we move into um, our planning for 2021, um, a determination of how far back, you know, the pendulum swings to spend. And, you know, it would certainly be our desire that uh, now that we've demonstrated that we can operate and operate quite successfully uh, at a lower cost level, uh, our expectation would be that we set, you know, that threshold uh, or expectation lower than we have, you know, historically. So we do believe that there's opportunity there, uh, but that work um, for what is sustainable going forward is just beginning now. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, maybe just switching gears, um, you know, U.S. state and local governments, um, you know, it's been a focal point for some investors. I, I think some of your peers have been suggesting that award activity um, you know, it's been good in Q2, uh, and there actually has been a good level of RFPs, uh, but they are expecting kind of new or, new awards to slow uh, in the second half until we get better clarity on on federal funding. Effectively, trying to get you know projects uh, to be shovel ready uh, in time for that stimulus. Um, you know, I guess what are you seeing in your business? You know, we we have seen pretty solid um, continued RFP activity. You know, we, we have seen that, that some clients are taking a little longer to make, to, make the, uh, to make the award. One thing, though, that we really are seeing is, 
increased opportunities in U.S. federal work. And I think we've, you know, we've press released over the last little while some of some recent U.S. federal awards, and you know, there's others that we haven't. So, so while you know, you're, we may see state and local uh, still putting out RFPs, but perhaps not a, not awarding as quickly. We are seeing that that general strengthening in the, the amount of U.S. federal work that we're that we're doing, uh, and we've also seen that that while while we when we went into the, the pandemic um, restrictions uh, in, in March, RFP activity slowed a little bit. We did see sort of in the April, May, June timeline that the the number of opportunities in our sales funnel uh, are up in both dollar value and the numbers. So. You know, as we look at backlog for the re remainder of the year, you know, I feel pretty good that our backlog is going to hold steady. So I, I think that, uh, and that's really absent any significant government stimulus funds, any government stimulus in uh, in the U.S. Because you know, while we think that will come, we're just not confident that it would be be, uh, be you know go through the House and Senate, uh, be announced, and then the, the 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 really the revenue being generated by us in a significant way. Uh, here in 2020. Okay, that's good color. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Great, thank you. And we have a question from Brian Fast with Raymond James. Yes, thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, just maybe uh, I'll touch on uh, your your outlook for the back half of the of the year. Um, has it changed at all since last quarter? And then maybe what has changed to allow you to be more comfortable to provide guidance? You know, we've um, we've been working really closely with our business leaders and our geogra geographic leaders, not just in Canada and the U.S., but but around the world, to really hone in on uh, opportunities that they see, project awards that we've had that we can begin to work forward on. So we feel pretty comfortable about the the numbers that we've put up for the our you know guidance, not guidance, but our outlook for the second half of the year. Um, you know, we, we see a little bit of retraction going forward, a little bit more in Q4 in some of the cold weather areas, but we always would see that, you know, based on uh, based on weather. But I think in, in general, the numbers that, that we uh, that we've guided for for outlook there, I think we feel pretty positive on those for the second half of the year. Okay, thanks. And then maybe um, I guess have your thoughts changed in respect to the preservation of workforce uh, since last quarter. No, no, we've, um, you know, we, we think that uh, we're, we're working really hard to, uh, to balance the workforce with the work that we have available, uh, but also ensuring that we, that, you know, I think we made a statement in the prepared remarks about really, you know, maintaining our workforce for the, you know, the recovery that, that we see to come. So we furloughed uh, people other than our, our board, our C-suite and our executive leadership, who have all taken a 10% pay cut, we haven't asked our other our staff for you know hourly pay reductions. In some cases, they're taking vacation. In some cases, they're taking leave without pay or, or other um, things like that. In some cases, we've had we have furloughed people, but we're trying to manage um, manage staffing as best we can, uh, so that go, going forward, we've got the right people in place to uh, to drive us forward. Okay, thanks. That's it for me. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Brian. And we have a question from Mona Nazis from Laurentian Bank. 
Good morning, and thank you for taking my questions. I'm, I'm just wondering, in light of COVID, um, so many companies are pivoting or looking to pivot to reduce their downside exposure or and capture greater opportunity. Um, you commented or have commented on increased demand within the medical field, and you have been equipped to service that increased demand. I'm just wondering where you're seeing other potential pivots and whether that be your public-private mix exposure, geographic, or even vertical focus, or anything else I'm missing. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks, Laura. And so, you know, one, one thing that we did in terms of limiting downside exposure is, is one of the things that we talked about as part of our strategic planning process last year, you know, where we had looked at our, uh, you know, significant exposure to land development leading up to, to 2008, then our significant exposure to oil and gas leading up to 2014, and that's where we made the statement as, as part of our strategic plan last year that in terms of limiting potential downside exposure, that we would not have our, allow our um, exposure to our revenue exposure to the cyclic markets, oil and gas and mining, to exceed 15%. So uh, that's really, I think, limited if we do see a, a downside there. But in terms of pivots, you're, you're right. We see a lot of work in healthcare. Um, we still see significant work in public transportation. Um, doing a lot of work in, in the GTA, but we still see a lot of good opportunities coming there. And I think from a, a global perspective, we're seeing more and more coming out for both healthcare, uh, public transit, roadways in general. I think those will all be beneficia uh, beneficiaries of any stimulus programs that, that come along as well. You know, we're also seeing that, that um, as more and more work comes out over the, you know, the last quarter, it has been more weighted on the public side than the private side. And so, um, you know, will, will that be a trend going forward? Perhaps I would think for the, the second half of the year, you know, we'll continue to see that. And then depending how the recovery comes, we'll see how that, that balance is out going into 2021. But I think we feel that, that our, uh, the areas that could be pivoting to more and more work, healthcare, public transit, transportation, water, we're very strong in and, and well situated to to get more than our fair share of that additional work that comes to that, those areas. Thank you, that's very helpful. And just secondly, I'm wondering if you could share with us the magnitude of pricing concessions on the customer side. Is it largely in the buildings or energy segments or other areas? It's, it's primarily where, we, where we've seen it is with a couple of very, very large public transportation agencies. And you know what they're looking for is like in the two-ish, three-ish percent range. Um, and then, well, we, we've seen some some large uh, uh, oil and gas companies talk about it as well. The numbers that they've been looking for have been in those same sort of regions, uh, those same sort of areas. You know, sometimes we've we've had groups ask for much more than that, but I think the industry in general, not just us, has pushed back and say, you're not going to get 10%. I mean, there is a 10% of juice to, to squeeze for anybody. So, you know, we seem to be settling in that couple percent range. And some of these have come forward also, Mona. Sorry, and some of them where they've come forward also, they said, could you take a 2% a cut for the next six months? Like, so they put, they put a time limited, uh, which is a little easier to, to, uh, for us to stomach as well, because then we don't have to try and fight to get it back at the end. That's perfect. That was my follow-up. I was going to ask about the length of term negotiated. So that's great. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Mona. Okay. 
And once again, ladies and gentlemen, that is star one. If you have a question today, we'll move on to Michael Tupholm with TD Securities. Uh, thank you. Um, you were asked earlier about some of the factors that weighed on gross margin, uh, gross margin percentage in the quarter. Uh, I'm just wondering if you can comment on how you see the gross margin evolving in the back half relative to where you were in Q2. Um, are there some factors that you expect to uh, to sort of subside and offer some relief and, and improvement in gross margins? You know, I, I think that uh, for the, the back half of the year, uh, we're, we're going to expect uh, gross margin to, you know, to improve modestly. But I, but I think that, you know, the, the reasons that we've, uh, we've described for what we saw in Q2 will, will largely continue in, in the back half of the year. Uh, so whether it's um, the overall productivity on the side of our operations or our clients, you know, the the, uh, the heavier weighting that we have going into the second half of the year with the increased work on the midstream projects um, and, and some of our, our large transportation you know, APD projects that are you know moving to a stage of the of the projects where the margin is slightly lower. So you know that and and a bit of these pricing concessions that that Gordon alluded to all combined would tell us that it's likely going to stay around the territory that that it is now. Okay, uh, that's helpful. With with that in mind, uh, and then thinking about uh, the fact that it, it sounds as though admin uh, and marketing costs, which were were quite well contained in the second quarter, those may start to creep higher uh, as you've brought people back to the office. So just thinking about gross margins sort of being maintained at these kinds of levels, with possibly some escalation in the admin and marketing. Is there anything else you're you're able to do uh, with respect to it? admitted marketing costs to try to, um, I guess, offset whatever escalation you might you might expect in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, you know there there's always the opportunity there, and, and we're we're really focused on it not only you know within the operations but within our you know the the functional support side of our our business as well. So initiatives to look at how, you know where we've been able to reduce costs, and it has been significant. Uh, and, and so, you know, when, when we started uh, all of this at the end of the first quarter, you know, there was some question about how long did we want, you know, these uh, these uh, these initiatives to to extend, and and you know, now we we are looking at you know having uh, these initiatives kind of continue through the the rest of the year. So, you know, I, I think you know our what we're able to do on admin marketing has been really positive, and we expect that to continue. Um, but I'll just, you know, maybe while we're talking about it, point out that you know, typically in Q3 is when, you know, we it's usually our, our, our most profitable quarter, and you see kind of a step up there. And that's because, you know, people are out working, they're in the field, we, you know, we, we don't run, you know, really significant training programs, we don't have a lot of downtime in, in the third quarter, and so, you know, it tends to improve. And then it sets down in the fourth quarter. We think that pattern, you know, will will uh, still show up this year. Um, and and overall, then, you know, we we think that uh, we'll we'll be able to bring in uh, the the admin costs. Um, you know, will we be able to fully offset uh, all of the the compression we're seeing in gross margin? I think that remains to be seen. But as Gord said, you know, it's really a focus on the on the long term. Uh, and, and maintaining the, the, the specialized and, uh, expertise that we have, um, and you know the, the, the tailwind we're getting from, 
favorable interest rates uh, and from having you know a, a, a pretty low balance uh, drawn on a revolving credit facility. All of those things collectively will drive us, uh, we believe, to you know a, a pretty good outcome for earnings. And, and that's you know that's that's really the overall focus for us. Is what is what's the bottom line going to look like? And that's what we're managing. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And then uh, just just lastly, um, as a result of the pandemic, uh, there's been a fair bit of discussion about uh, firms thinking about their real estate requirements, uh, given the success of transitioning employees to working from home early in you know, early in the pandemic. Um, you know, realize it's somewhat early still, but have you thought about that and, and any thoughts on uh, reconsidering Santex real estate footprint kind of over the medium to longer term? Realize it's not a short term thing, but um, thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. We've, uh, in fact, that was something that we were working on before the pandemic hit in any event. But certainly now we're, um, we are having a number of discussions uh, we, we've talked with our, with our, our we surveyed our, our larger employee base on, you know, where, what, what they're thinking about going forward. And I think Teresa said earlier that, you know, a number of them, when, when the pandemic first hit and everybody went home, they all said, this is great. You know, I'm never coming back to the office. But now, uh, you know, a month, two months, three months in, we have the majority of our staff saying, we want to go back to the office. Like maybe, you know, is it possible that I can come back and work in the office and work from home one day a week? or two days a week, something along, along that line. So we are really looking at how that would impact our real estate footprint because our perspective is if you're going to be full-time in the office, you'll have a dedicated workspace. But if you're going to be in and out three days here, three days in the office, two days at home, or four in one, you know, perhaps you won't get a dedicated workspace. It'll be more towards a uh, hoteling type of a perspective. So we do have a significant number of our leases that are coming up for renewal over the next three years. And so uh, we are really thinking about what does the new footprint look like going forward? And so I do think that, um, you know, we'll see some footprint reduction over the longer term. But for us, you know, without even having to take any, uh, any impairments on, uh, on leases, you know, over the next three years, we can, um, you know, make a change on a significant percentage of our, um, of our portfolio. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Thanks, the final reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question today, please press star and then one at this time. And it appears we have no further questions today. I would like to turn the conference back over to uh, Gord Johnston for any concluding remarks. Well, I just want to say, you know, thank you again for joining us on the call and that we look forward to speaking with you in the new, near future about our continued progress. And everyone have a great day and, and stay healthy. Thanks very much. Thank you. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's conference. We appreciate your participation today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.